Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. to watch? What are the filters that you are using? We recently talked with, um, who wrote the Wisdom Pyramid? Was that Brett McCracken? Yeah, Paul? I believe so. I, I think that's know. right. Yeah. It's my brain, right? No, I know. So we, re- I, we recently talked with Brett McCracken, who wrote, I'm pretty sure he wrote the Wisdom Pyramid. Anyway, that's the book I had in mind when I was thinking through uh, how to tee up the conversation about the filters that we use in terms of our media consumption and our social media consumption. And all of this came to mind because I was reading an article uh, about how Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO, um, on and on and on, how they determine what to suggest to us. So I don't know if you have noticed, but they make all kinds of suggestions like, oh, we think you might like this. You might like this. Here's your you might like list or, you know, suggestions for future watching or add this to your playlist, question mark. Like, how do they come up with what they put in your list versus what they put in my list versus what they put in somebody else's list? Um, they are trying to they have these algorithms thinking about now, first of all, just pause right there that there is. So there's AI involved. Right. There is artificial intelligence involved here. They're they're taking everything that you've watched your watch your watch history, and based on that, uh, and what you've saved to your watch list, what you've previewed, what you've ever paused over to consider, um, the reviews that you have read online. I mean, literally everything. They're taking all of that and they're aggregating that, and they're trying to come up with suggestions because obviously they want you to watch more stuff, particularly stuff that maybe you would then pay a premium to watch. So that's what's happening in terms of how they come up with the list of things that they suggest that you watch. And so, you know, how are you filtering through through that and what how are you applying wisdom to the decision of what to watch? What to watch on TikTok, what to watch on YouTube, what to watch on I mean there's so much stuff out there and there's a lot of decisions being made in the background about what you're even presented with, let alone what you choose to consume or choose to watch. And then there are these what I'll describe as other things that they're offering up in terms of suggestions for what you would watch. And so this caught my attention. HBO is now um, sending out or making suggestions or making watch lists based on your zodiac sign. So because I was born in the month and on the day that I was born, they think that is relevant to what I would then choose to want to watch. So it provides an opportunity for us to talk about religions based in the stars, right? Not astronomy, but astrology. So we're talking about here about astral, astrological zodiac signs and Major companies, major corporations thinking that that's relevant. That's a relevant filter to use in terms of suggesting to you what you might want to watch. Well, before you get your hackles all up about that, let's consider this. 
Are you equally offended when they make suggestions to you based upon the fact that they think you're a Christian? Because their algorithms tell them that you have chosen to watch things like, well, The Chosen. So that leads them to believe you might like other things like The Chosen, or maybe you've watched The Ten Commandments, or maybe you've watched um, the Jesus film. I don't know. Maybe you've watched, it could be anything, but it has led them to believe that you are a Christian, which then leads to this question. If they're not sending you Christian programming, what does that tell you about what they know you're watching? That's sort of the full circle conversation. If they're sending you stuff based on your Zodiac sign, not based on things that are sort of obviously Christian, that tells you something about what all these companies know about your watch habits, which leads me to invite us to consider those habits and how we make them. All right, there is a movie set that goes major league. Uh, I was surprised to learn that Iowa is going to host its very first major league baseball game. I can't believe it's taken this long for, am I wrong? Uh, They actually had it last night. Oh my goodness, it happened last night. We've already missed it. All right. I've, we've already missed it. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So it was like a made-for-TV event, right? These two yeah. Major League Baseball teams were going to play on the Field of Dreams, and apparently it already happened. It I happened. totally missed yep. it. it. I happened. think Kevin Costner so, was even there. What? Kevin Costner was there. That's totally fun. That's totally fun. All right. The Field of Dreams. Dreams become reality. That is pretty much Adam Holtz's segment. Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family is plugged in up next. And no, we're not talking about Friday the 13th. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In, who apparently has lots to say about everything I've already said. You know, I always have lots to say, Carmen, <laughs> but this week in particular, uh, lots to say. Uh, I will say that I missed the Field of Dreams uh, game last night as well, but <laughs> I, um, when it was first announced, I actually got online immediately to see if tickets were available. It had sold out instantaneously. Uh, I'm from Iowa, which I think I have communicated to you guys before, and uh, I can't watch Field of Dreams without like weeping through half of it because it's my favorite corn movie of all time. <gasps> it's your favorite corn movie because my favorite corn movie of all times, which maybe is just a question we should set out there if you're listening right now and you want to text in your favorite corn movie of all times, a survey we're now um, apparently starting here at Mornings with Carmen. What's this called? Mornings with Carmen. That's the name of the show. Um, you can text in your favorite corn movie right now, 877-933-2484. Adam and I are now surveying it. My favorite corn movie of all times um, is Secondhand Lions. Uh, corn, that corn, is another, corn. That is another corny movie, definitely. That's such a good movie. It's yeah, just one of the yeah, one of our family faves. Okay, let's uh, uh, well, let's talk well, about. Well, let oh, me just. Ahead. I want to say one other thing. I wanted to talk about the algorithm thing and the choices that we're making. It it prompted this thought. We talked about it a while back, but I want to reinsert this thought of the many, 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 many things on Netflix you could choose to watch. I think maybe maybe the single best thing you could watch, and I never make recommendations like this. Is the documentary the social net or the social dilemma? Not the social mm-hmm. network. That's a that's a movie, because it talks about how those algorithms work, 
Um, and it really gives an in-depth reminder, challenge, and warning to the fact that the tech companies are watching every keystroke. They're watching how long we linger on a page. And I don't say this to freak people out, but those recommendations that we get are not accidental. And, um, you know, there's been anecdotal evidence that even when you're not, you know, actively searching for something that your phone is listening. Uh, I had an asthma attack on Monday. I told somebody I was going home to get my inhaler because I was having an asthma attack and I got home and looked at my phone and there was an ad for asthma medication and I had not done a search on it and it freaked me out a little bit. Uh, so Again, I'm not trying to be scary, but if you want to be sensitized a little bit more and learn more about how the whole algorithm thing works, man, the social dilemma is worth a couple of hours. It's got a couple of profanities. That's really the only content in it. All right, let's do some other reviews. Uh, yes. Talk about free guy. Free guy? Free? free? free. He's free. Well, uh, yes, it's, there should be a comma there. It's almost free guy. Uh, oh. This is a this is a movie um, starring Ryan Reynolds, and Ryan Reynolds plays a guy named Guy. He is the nicest guy you could ever hope to meet. He works as a bank teller. You know, when criminals come in and rob the bank, he serves them with a smile. When people blow stuff up and murder people and, and generally, you know, wreak havoc everywhere, he's right there smiling. But there there is an inner core to Guy that knows that something's not right. Well, he feels that because he's actually – what's called a non-player character in an online uh, multiplayer role-playing game called Free City. And Guy has begun to sort of drift into self-awareness. He's, he's nice to everybody because that's how he's programmed, but he's beginning to sort of wake up and, and want to actualize his own life, if you will. And he falls in love with uh, a woman uh, who is her avatar in the game is uh is is Molotov actually it's it's Ms Molotov sorry I got to look it up uh Molotov girl that's it uh and he wants to have you know he wants to have a romance and it turns out Molotov girl's real life counterpart uh is a woman named Millie who has helped to create the game and she laments the fact that it has become known for a game about mayhem where players just go in and blow stuff up all the time so Together, they team up to make Free City a kinder, gentler place and to transform this online world uh, with unexpected acts of kindness. Now, amid the unexpected acts of kindness, I will say there is still a ton of video game style violence. There's quite a bit of profanity here and quite a bit of sexual innuendo. So this is not a squeaky clean movie. But what looks like kind of a throwaway movie to give Ryan Reynolds an opportunity to crack jokes actually had a surprisingly deep core here in terms of, you know, thinking about influencing the world we live in. So there's a lot to like. There's a lot to be aware of. But that's the story with Free Guy. All right. Uh, votes are coming in on the text line for corn movies. We now have an, <laughs> a, an entry for fried green tomatoes. Oh, yeah. So there you go. All right. We're uh, we're taking your uh, corn movie nominees right now at 877-933-2484. Text your favorite corn movie. Field of Dreams has already received a number of votes. Uh, A lot of people watched last night. 
um, and are then going to watch the movie. I think that's a great combo. Um, I offered in secondhand lions, and we now have fried green tomatoes in the running as well. What's your favorite corn movie? Text us at 877-933-2484. Adam Holtz and I from Focus on the Family's Plugged In will be right back. All right. Apparently, the the White Sox won nine to eight. There were lots of home runs uh, in the Field of Dreams game, and so now, of course, I want to know: Did those baseballs end up just out there in the corn? And if so, like who goes to retrieve them? I have lots of questions. I like to ask my questions uh, related to all things entertainment to Adam Holtz, who joins us now from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. We do have um, some uh, someone who is listening and saying, I think it says a lot about the audience that there was not a flurry uh, of votes for Children of the Corn. <laughs> I was really hoping that Malachi would not show up here because Malachi <laughs> tormented me in my childhood. Nobody's going to vote on this show for Children of the Corn. That's Although good. one person did a tongue in cheek say there is a movie called Sharks in the Corn. I can't imagine oh. how that works. I know, oh, I'm looking it up. Sharks uh, in the there corn. There you go. I know. Sharks in the corn. Um, Just because, you know, there's apparently a lot of corn-themed movies, and I didn't even know it. Let's jump who, to... Who knew? <laughs> uh, let's jump to Marvel's What If, because I think yeah. that folks are going to want to know about that. Yeah. Marvel's What If is the latest uh, Marvel superhero series streaming on Disney+. And if you're wondering, well, that seems like a weird title... If you're a Marvel fan, you know that over the years, Marvel has had several volumes of a comic called What If? And each issue posits a question that has to do with changing a circumstance, changing a character, and asking the question, well, what if this had happened instead of that? And so they now have a new animated series. Um, The first episode deals with Peggy Carter, um, and we all know that Steve Rogers became the super soldier in the 1940s to go fight Hitler. But the first episode asked the question, what if Peggy Carter had been the first Avenger? Uh, and that episode shows how she ends up receiving the, the serum to become a super soldier uh, instead of Steve Rogers. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's sort of a, you know, if we chose this door instead of this door, what would have happened? Um, I would say it's pretty much of a piece content wise with the movies in terms of the kind of content you can expect. There was a smattering of language. It's probably not quite as harsh language wise as the PG 13 movies. And we get, you know, some intense comic book violence. Um, but this sort of feels like a show for super fans because you almost have to know the backstory of characters really well to be able to appreciate how they're subverting those histories and changing them up and, and doing different things with them. Uh, but I think if, if you are a Marvel super fan, you're probably already aware of this and you've probably already watched it and enjoyed it. And uh, it's pretty engaging. I watched it both as a plugged in guy and as a fan and I really enjoyed it. And you know, there's enough content here that we can't just turn it on and, and put our brains on autopilot. But as you were saying earlier, we don't want to do that with anything, right? We want to be active and we want to be engaged in the choices we're making and know why we're watching what we're choosing to watch. 
All right, there are a lot of reviews posted this week at PluggedIn.com. The movie Respect has a review up there. Kissing Booth 3, which you can watch on Netflix, has a review posted at PluggedIn.com. Um, I want to offer up three headlines and let you pick. Uh, okay. The, the Batman um, character Robin yep. has come out as bisexual. I don't really know how a character, how an animated fake person comes out as bisexual, but that's a headline. Jeopardy is not going to be hosted by one person, but by two people. I'd like to know how that's going to work. And the Lord of the Rings series is no longer going to be filmed in New Zealand. It will be filmed in Britain. Do you want to talk about any of those? Yeah, let's talk about the Batman story. And, you know, you Batman, can accuse me. Just because it's fun it, to well, say. The Robin story. Um, yeah. Bash. Pow. Bam. Um, there's something happening in our culture across the board and that's is we're seeing an embrace of the LGBTQ um, message and really that entire worldview from top to bottom. Kids shows, comics, TV shows, movies. Um, and we DC has been really um, active in rethinking where its big characters can, uh, you know, represent, if you will. And in fact, Last month for Pride Month, I don't know if you know this about comic books, but each month when they publish comic books, there are all sorts of variant issues that have different covers. Um, and they had both DC and Marvel had Pride uh, covers last month, which were all of them were showcasing their gay and, and lesbian and bisexual characters. So this is a thing. And you would think, as you just said, uh, you know, how much do we have to deal with sexuality in comic books? Well, comic books not only are dealing with it, but I think are really at the forefront of embracing and espousing uh, an LGBTQ positive worldview. And so if you have kids that are into that, you just need to be aware of that because they're they're getting bombarded with this message everywhere. And we've got to be engaged as parents, understanding that that's the message coming from our culture and figuring out how we're going to talk about that with them because the culture is absolutely having that conversation. So that feels like a total setup for my next conversation um, because uh, the the guy that is heading up Awana, Mark Markins, is going to be here next. We're going to talk about resilient discipleship and kids. Um, Excellent. And yeah. And so, I mean, like my lead off comment to him is like by the time kids are 10 years old, they have been so saturated by secularism that that really is forming their worldview much more so than, uh, you know, than those of us who might be trying to influence them toward a biblical or gospel worldview. So, yeah, this is really helpful as a part of that conversation. I mean, there's nothing out there right now that isn't saturated with the LGBTQ plus conversation and, and advocacy, and it's a really hefty push um, as yeah. I would say, is the you know kind of anti-life conversation, which is why we so appreciate the focus yeah. on life that uh, focus on the family is, you know, shining a spotlight on. Um, in fact, right now, um, this yeah, month, right so, now, yeah, yep. no, that's right. So, and, and I think as we talk about ahead. worldview, Carmen, just one other thing: it's more than just behaviors, and it's more than just sexuality. I think that the LGBTQ embrace in our culture is a symptom of the fact that our culture has largely thrown God out the window 
but we're wired to experience transcendence. And so in that void, I think sexuality becomes one of the things our mainstream culture has turned to and why it cares so much about that issue. So I think it's it's important to frame that worldview conversation in an even bigger conversation with regard to theology and where we're at, because I really do think it's it's symptomatic of a bigger and even deeper problem in our culture. All right. Chad would like to recommend The Yearling. Uh, we have um, we have the recommendation of Hepburn in The Corn is Green. We have a Ooh. Sesame Street episode called Follow That Bird. Hmm. And then we have somebody saying, I know it's creepy, but I like The Stand by Stephen King. <laughs> so there are some corn movies being cast into the running in Carmen and Adam's very informal what is your favorite corn movie survey of the day? Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can see what he's writing at PluggedIn.com. As always, man, thanks so much. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. I love your ongoing engagement on the text line today. Uh, I suppose if you still want to weigh in on your favorite themed corn movie, you can do that. We missed this one from uh, listener Piron. She says, uh, Interstellar. I remember that everyone was trying to be evacuated from the earth because, well, corn was about to go extinct. So that makes it a corn movie. Um, I do have a listener from Nebraska who is concerned that nobody came up with anything about the corn huskers and someone from Idaho who now wants a survey category of potato movies. Paul, could you make sure that the next time I talk to Adam Holtz, we do some other vegetable theme I don't okay know. well we'll, we'll, we'll figure kind of out excited I, i'm, I I'm kind of stumped on the potato movie thing you know the potato movie i think that that's because of um maybe i mean if you did sausage I, it'd be easy because there's ferris matt, bueller but <laughs> that i don't know what about matt damon in the martian is would uh, that would be a oh, potato themed movie you're right you're right the the, the martian spuds I, yes i feel i feel confident there are movies where people are peeling potatoes or there's potato oh, soup yeah. or there's a potato gang i well, they're out there i'm sure they're out i'm there. sure there are yeah there's the apple dumpling game which gang if you haven't watched those movies recently those uh, are worth rewatching. Really? Apple themed movies would be fun. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. I watched them I as know. a kid. It's like, uh, I don't want to go I back. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, what we watched as a kid, that tees up the next conversation. We're going to talk with Matt Markins from Awana. We're going to talk about child discipleship. The topic is resilient disciples. How, uh, how are we going to make our kids resilient disciples? Um, we're going to have to change the way we do children's ministry. And so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. This is Max Locato. Peter never would have made this request on a calm sea. I doubt Peter would have ever stepped out of the boat. Storms prompt us to take unprecedented journeys. For a few heart-stilling moments, Peter did the impossible. He defied every law of gravity and nature. Matthew moves us quickly to the major message of the event, and that is where to stare in a storm. But when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Focus on Christ. You can do the impossible. 
focus on the storm, you begin to sink. This is Max Lucado. All right, joining me now, Matt Markins, who I just learned is kind of my, like, actual neighbor. He is the president and chief strategy officer of Awana. He is joining us today to talk about resilient child discipleship and the fearless future of the church. Matt, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. We should have been meeting for coffee. Yeah, I know. I just sent you a text message to that effect, but we will, uh, we'll work on that later. So for people who don't know what Awana is, which I'm sure is only like one person listening right now, but let's tell them anyway, what is Awana? Awana is a global child discipleship organization. We work in 130 countries, about 62,000 churches around the world, over 10,000 churches here in the U.S. So we come alongside of churches to help them disciple their children. And we talk about child discipleship, our sort of view of that or our approach to that is really now, I think, more heavily influenced by what we're learning about kids and how kids are learning and the environment in which they find themselves. So talk a little bit about this transition toward um, or this pivot toward resilience in terms of child discipleship. Sure. Well, discipleship is happening. The question is, who is discipling them and what is discipling them? So two two quick terms to define, terms we probably hear a lot, but let's define them. One term is secularism. What is secularism? Uh, Your friend and our friend Gabe Lyons defines secularism as the dismissal of God and the elevation of self. So think about that. We see that in the culture, right? Like we're going to deny God, we're going to dismiss him, or we're going to elevate self. We hear it in phrases like, you be you, my body, my choice, you know, live your truth. Like if, if maybe our listeners don't know those phrases, but our kids and our grandkids for certainly, certainly do, right? So that, that's secularism, and our kids are absolutely swimming in this 24-7, 365. And another term is what's called post-Christian culture. You may have heard it said, we're, we're living in a post-Christian culture, but what does that mean? Uh, Pastor Mark Sayers of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, says that a post-Christian culture is an attempt to advance the goals of Christianity, but without Christ. It's the kingdom without the king. So as we look around us and we see this push for freedom, for justice, for redemption, joy, and happiness, it's this, this pursuit of all of these things that ultimately come from Jesus but the culture is pursuing it in a way that has nothing to do with the gospel. Our kids are swimming in a secular culture. They're swimming in a post-Christian culture, and it's really forming them super fast. Um, it makes me think of uh, conversations that I've had um, with a with a secular individual who describes himself as a Jesus follower, which should be like false on the face of it, but somehow in our culture is not. It also reminds me of conversations about sort of where we have arrived in terms of living on the shadow of a shadow of a shadow. Like there's one thing to have faith. It's another thing to be a generation removed from those who have real operational faith. It's another thing to be two or three generations from that. And just how flimsy um, you the, the place or how thin the place where you arrive when what you're operating on is a shadow of a shadow of a shadow of yeah. real relationship with God. And I think that's what we're talking about and trying to help bring into focus here. So the research tells us that, you know, our kids are um, 
you know, certainly swimming not only in the reality of secularism, but their worldviews are formed like like all largely fixed at a much younger age than I think many people think. Talk with us about why children's ministry is so important because of what research tells us about when a child's worldview is really largely fixed. Yep. So this conversation around, you know, we're losing young people after high school, it, it really bubbled up in the early 2000s, and, and, and it, it has not gone away. But I think what where we need to shift in this moment is that we need to not look at this as a youth ministry conversation. We really need to look at this as a children's ministry conversation. What I mean by that is by, to what you just alluded to, Carmen, by the age of 13, 94% of all human beings, our worldviews are largely set. So if that's the case, then we need to ask the question, well, that 13-year-old, what formed them up to that point? That that 13-year-old in your church or in your family two years ago was in the children's ministry. And so we, we have a lot of questions to ask about what are we doing with our children that's forming them leading up to that 13, 14-year-old time frame where their, their worldview is really locked in. So what is it that influences and shapes children? That's the question we've been asking. And entertaining them is not enough or just keeping them, um, you know, somehow still and quiet um, where they're not disrupting, quote unquote, adult church. Like, that's not enough. So that's what I want to talk with you about. I want to talk with you about what does resilient child discipleship making look like? Excellent. Well, if I was a parent or a church leader, I would be thinking to myself, we need a little less Disney and a lot more Mr. Rogers. Here's what we mean by that. The church in the 1990s really went to this Disney-esque edutainment. We're going to entertain our kids. We're going to make this the most exciting hour of their week. And that may have been the best decision at that time in church history, but with the mobile and the digital disruption, our kids have more entertainment at any given moment of the week than they know what to do with. Our kids do not need more Disney. They need more Fred Rogers, that that person who is looking them in the eye, engaging them, walking alongside of them in genuine relationship. So when we did our research, we found that there are three factors that are gonna form a lifelong faith. And those three factors coming together are belong, believe, become. Belong is highly relational, believe is deeply scriptural, and become is truly experiential. And we can spend some time unpacking those. Yeah, let's take a very brief break. And then when we come back, I am gonna continue my conversation with Matt Markins. We're talking about uh, child discipleship. The book is Resilient, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. We're going to talk more about belong, believe, become. Up next, you're on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we are talking about kids. We're talking about child discipleship. The website that I'm going to invite you to visit is resilientdisciples.com, resilientdisciples.com. Dot com. You can check out the Bright curriculum there. You can check out the book. You can uh, check out the upcoming uh, Child Discipleship Forum that they are hosting September 16 and 17. Find it all at resilientdisciples.com. Um, Matt, let's uh, unpack this a little bit further. You introduced three words, belong, believe, become. Why don't you walk us around in uh, in all of that? 
Yeah, so what this really the, what the, the item to focus on here is that when these three factors are present, belonging, believing, and becoming, it's about all three of them together being active and present in the life of a child and identity is formed. We're all, we're all concerned about what is forming our children and these three factors, according to research, and actually, if you look at the way Jesus made disciples in the New Testament, this is how disciples are made and formed. But let me quickly tell a, a brief story. Uh, my, one of my earliest memories is the day that my dad walked out on our family. And I'm sitting there on the floor. For whatever reason, my door was left open. My dad is storming back and forth. I'm watching him through the door in my bedroom. But my my brother is sitting to my left, and he's he's taller than me. He's bigger than me. So he's kind of shadowing over me. He's distracting me with the Disney Golden Books. Maybe your listeners remember those books with the golden spine. And he's 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 actually kind of being the hero of the moment because he's trying to bring my attention away from all this emotional violence. This is such a powerful memory. But this was was kind of day one of a trajectory of my father being in and out of my life and all this stuff. But my mom and my stepdad, they got my brother and I to church. They got us access to this larger community where, you know, we laugh about flannel graph, but in the 1980s, flannel graph is what taught me the scriptures where I learned about Jesus. And I, you know, I got access to VBS. I got access to children's church. And by the time I'm in the youth group, I've got this community of loving, caring adults. So when I look back at my journey and I, and I even ask myself personally, what formed me I can see this community of highly relational, loving, caring adults. It wasn't just my pastor or, or it was the Sunday school teacher. It was the mentor. It was my it was my football coach. A community of people came around me as highly relational people who were engaging in my life and who cared about me deeply. And the, re the reason I point this out is doctors say that trauma is experiencing suffering alone. But look, so when I think about my experience, um, I had other people who came alongside of me who were able to help me navigate. Har the Harvard Center for the Developing Child, they did a study on resilience, and they, essentially they're saying, we're not going to solve poverty, we're not going to solve education or water sanitation crisis, but here's what we can solve. One loving, caring adult who engages in the life of that child will help that child, will cre increase that child's uh, probability of long term success. So the church should take from that. If we are a community of highly relational people, we can help our kids believe and become like Jesus. Virginia wants you to know that she loved flannel graphs and VBS. So uh, thank you, Virginia, for texting that in. Matt, I think that, you know, thank you, first of all, for sharing um, so personally out of your own story and so powerfully the testimony of what loving, caring, invested adults mean in all of this process. We're not talking, I mean, we could be talking about curriculum. The bright curriculum is great, um, but we are talking about mature adult Christians as the primary curriculum here. Yep, that's exactly right. So if I were a pastor or even a leader of my, just a member of my own family, I, uh, living in a post-Christian culture, living in a highly aggressive, hostile at times, secular culture, I would be having new conversations. I would be approaching the whiteboard with my team and saying, okay, let's wipe everything away just for a few minutes. What, what are the most important things we could put on this board? And all of our research continues to point toward what if we built a network? What if we started with network over anything else? What if our church was a community network 
to make sure that every child and young person has multiple people speaking into their life. That's really, really the secret because through those relationships, that's where the scripture, the Bible, the gospel can really, really come alive. So uh, I, one of the people, you know, sort of like out there in the world that I watch in terms of youth ministry and what's going on uh, with that particular age group is Kara Powell. And I know that, right, the three big questions that change every teenager, I feel like all of this sort of is aligned and resonates. The the identity, belonging, and purpose questions, um, which here we might describe as belong, believe, become, right? The the formative questions, what forms a child, not not just information, but formation and transformation. Those are the kinds of conversations that I think you're trying to provoke. Um, invite people into this. Invite people into resilient child discipleship. Um, you know, like how, how do I get this started? How do I ignite this at my own church? Two, two, two immediate steps I would take. One of them is I would, I would read the book Resilient. You mentioned earlier, the full title is Resilient Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. You can go to Amazon and just type in Resilient Child Discipleship, and that's going to pop up. Or you can go to our website, like you mentioned earlier, uh, reading that book really gives a brief overview of this whole conversation, but enough to really start sinking your teeth into it, really wrestling with these questions. The second thing I would do is I would consider coming to the Child Discipleship Forum. It is both in Nashville and online. So if you're if you're in Kansas or on the East Coast or in the Midwest, hey, you can hop online and participate with your team or as an individual. Uh, but if you're in the Nashville area or want to come, you can also Google um, Child Discipleship Forum or go to childdiscipleshipforum.com. We're going to have really the, the nation's leading experts on research that's forming our children and those who work in, in local churches who are experts at this as well. You're not going to want to miss being a part of this conversation. And if you're saying to yourself right now, okay, I'm not the decision maker in my church related to this, you know you could offer to to support someone from your church in attending. Like if there's, if this isn't you and you know it, that's okay. Try to make this happen in your church and in your community um, by supporting people who are in a position to change the way that child discipleship is approached in the life of your congregation. So again, resilientdisciples.com is the website. You guys know um, because you you heard me talk with Valerie Bell back in April. This is subject matter about which I am um, uh, deeply concerned and and highly committed. So uh, let's let's not see another generation of young people walk away from the church. Instead, let's change the way we are discipling kids when they're kids, so that they will be resilient and actually prepared to lead the church um, as it emerges. Uh, you know, into twenty thirty, twenty forty, twenty fifty. Um, let's let's get them ready to do that by investing in them now. Matt, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. Let's grab coffee soon. Let's do it. All right. All right. That's Matt Markins. You can find him at Awana. You can also find him at resilientdisciples.com. We'll be right back. All right. Let's pour out our praise today. Let's pour out our praise today. Let's turn toward this day and find reason to praise the Lord. It's so easy to find reasons to wring our hands or to um, doubt or to be frustrated 
or to say something sour. Let's instead turn toward the world, turn toward the world, turn toward the day that God has given us, acknowledge that this is the day that the Lord has made, acknowledge that he is good, acknowledge his mercies new every morning, acknowledge that great is his faithfulness, acknowledge that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, um, acknowledge that in, uh, in this next breath, I find grace. Let's acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Let's acknowledge who God is. Let's acknowledge that God is in a world that seems very confused about whether or not he is and who he is and what he's up to. Let's be the people who shine today as lights. Yes, in a dark and perverse generation. Let's be the people who stand up and say, funerals are my favorite time to get together because I can unashamedly declare the goodness and grace of God in Jesus Christ, my risen Savior. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I know that my Redeemer lives. I hope you know it too. Let's be the people who go out into the world that God so loves today, so bathed in the Holy Spirit, so filled with the Word of God, that when life squeezes us, because it does, what flows out of us is the goodness and the grace and the truth of the gospel. And what's the gospel? Jesus Christ. In a word, in two words, in a name, Jesus Christ. Let's share him today with someone who does not yet have that hope. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.